Father, we thank you for this morning. We, we thank you for our public officials who have worked hard uh, and tirelessly uh, to keep us safe. And Lord, we, we thank you for them. And, and Lord, as we weigh things out, we pray that you give us wisdom. As we look at your word this morning, I pray, Lord, that it would be not just uh, an information dump, but Lord, that it would be transformational uh, in our hearts and in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So come with me to verse 22. John writes this, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Verse 23. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And so if you remember last week, the crowd was enamored. They said, look at this. It's the prophet that Moses promised us. He's given us, he's given us bread from heaven. And in their heart of hearts, they said, let's act on this. We're going to make Jesus our king. And the disciples, they got all, they got the, they got all excited about it. They got excited. Oh, finally, the king's coming. We're going to make Jesus king. And Jesus heard about that. And what did he do? He took Peter by the ear. And he said, come along, you little rock, you. And he took Peter by the ear, and he put him where? Physically, in a boat. And they, uh, the other disciples were probably intimidated at this point, and they probably got in the boat, but if they didn't, he probably helped Andrew along too. And Jesus physically, intentionally, put them in the boat for their own good, and then set them off, and he went off to pray. The people were watching this. The storm came, and they began looking for Jesus. And they said, where is he? He didn't get in the boat. And so they figured in their own mind, he must have gone ahead to Capernaum. Now, there was a great storm, and what happened in the great storm is that boats that were moored or anchored or on the, the, the other side of the, the sea, those boats got swept over to where Jesus was ministering. And you might say, well, that's, that's, that's hooey. That's, how can you get that? Well, I'd say years ago, I would, I would still believe what the Bible said. I said, well, I may not understand it, but the boats got there. It was a big storm. The boats came over there. They got in the boats. They went there. But you know, now I live on Salem Harbor. And last fall, a nor'easter came. And I'd never seen it before in my life. Million-dollar sailboats. Anchored moored like, like toys that a child would play with in the bathtub. Million-dollar sailboats. Ripped up from their moorings and blown across the harbor and landed on the rocks by the gas tank over there by the Salem-Beverly Bridge. Anybody know where that gas tank is? Yeah, Skip Doucette works there from time to time. He supervises the, those type of plants. 
And so all these boats got blown from one side of the harbor to the other, and everybody was down there taking pictures, and it was a disaster because the hulls of these mammoth sailboats were just ripped to shreds. And now I come to this text, and I said, oh, yeah, I believe. Yeah, not only do believe, not only do I believe here, but I believe here. Why? Because I've seen it. And there's that transition that we take in faith where, where we, may, we may believe it here, but God wants to bring it where? Here. And that is the point of the teaching this morning. Come back to the text. Verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? What did they want? Think about it for a minute. How would we describe their question? They were seeking what? Just dwell on it for a minute. They were seeking what? They were seeking information. And what we see in the next verse is Jesus, like every good Irishman, when you ask a question, what do you get back? Do you get an answer? Of course not. You get another question. And Jesus hears their request for information, and does he answer their question? No, he doesn't. He doesn't answer their question because Jesus is not interested in just disseminating information into our hearts. Jesus wants to transform our hearts and let us experience new life in him. And yet as Christians, when we come to these familiar texts, we can kind of, I know the junior high Sunday school is with us, so no offense, but sometimes when we read a Bible text, all is we're interested in is reading it at a Sunday school level. What's the story saying? What's the narrative? And we're satisfied with what the narrative says and what the facts of the story are, but we never let it do what? We, we never let it penetrate our heart, and we never let it transform us. And so their request for information, Jesus goes, I want to do something more in your life. Do you think Jesus relates to us that way? Some great insights here as far as our prayer life. You know, we pray to God, Lord, I have this quest. I have this, I have this desire. I, I have this desire to know you. I have this desire for, for information. And what do we get a lot of times? Silence. Why? Because Jesus is just not interested in giving us an information dump. He's just not interested in giving us a little merit badge. Oh, I, I covered the Gospel of John. I got my merit badge. No, Jesus wants the Gospel of John to transform your life so that you can experience joy. That's right. When you look at John 15 and you see this story of the vine, Jesus gives you this little formula in that story. I mean, you can look it up later. You know where it is in John chapter 15. Jesus links three things together. He says, do you love me? Do you obey my commandments? Will you follow me? Will you abide in me? 
He says, do you love me? Will you abide in me? And will you obey me? Those three things. There's three things in our text that Jesus is going to confront the people with. He's going to confront them with their materialism. That's in, if you have a set of notes, that's going to be in verse 26 through 27. He's going to confront them in verses 28 and 29 about their their self-sufficiency spiritually. He's, he's going to confront them about their ignorance of Scripture and unbelief in verse 33, 30 and 33. And then he's going to bring them, after he confronts them with those three things, he's going to bring them to the place that he really wants them to arrive at, which is not information, but spiritual transformation in their life. It's going to be about the new birth. It's going to be about what he talked about Nicodemus with, being born again. He's going to talk about what he talked about with the woman at the well, which is living water. And he's, and he's bringing them to a place to begin to walk with him so that they would love him, so that they would obey him, so that they would abide in him, so that they would what? So they, they would experience spiritual transformation in their life and have joy that's not subject to their circumstances. That's maturity. If, if you want to do a good diagnostic, if you want to do, be a good doctor of your soul, and when I mean soul, I mean the way the Bible looks at it, your complete person, body, mind, and soul. It, you can't tear it apart. If you want to be a good doctor of your soul, a good doctor of your heart, ask yourself a good diagnostic question. What is the level of the joy in my life? And the three things that Jesus is going to address here, materialism, self-sufficiency, unbelief, those are the things. Those are the things that keep us from abiding, from loving, from obeying. Those are the things that keep us from having joy unspeakable and full of glory that's not tethered to our circumstances in life. And that comes from becoming born again and becoming a new creation in Christ because whoever the world says we are, we ain't. I'm going to get a lecture about that, you know, like, how can I, how you have your doctorate? Why can't, why ain't you using the proper words? Well, I ain't. I don't want to. I'm from Billy Ricca. I, not anymore. I got saved and got, you know. <laughs> just teasing, folks. Just teasing. Take a look at these three things. They, they wanted information. Jesus says, I want to transform your life. Take a look at the first one. And we're looking at verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly. Now, I had it straighten out Ben this morning. Ben thought, ben thought Jesus was the, was the creator of truly. I, I know some of you are so sanctified that you don't know what the 100-calorie you know, thing is. But, but we're, we're praying for Ben. So, so truly, tr- sorry, I, I, I had to, I, I'm such a sinner. I had to do that. So when Jesus says truly, truly, he's being emphatic right? He's being emphatic about the statement that's to follow. So look at the text with me. Jesus, sorry, Ben. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, 
You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And what the people were being motivated to seek Jesus was that, that they had found a person that could give them economic security. And for the people in Bible days, that economic security had to be, can we get enough to eat? And the staple was bread. And they wanted to make Jesus king so that they could have economic security and political security. And Jesus takes that desire for material security and he, and he brings them to the transformational moment, which is where God wants to bring us. God wants to bring us from just desiring economic security to eternal security so that we'll trust him. God wants to bring us from this anxious state of will we have enough to the place where we trust him. And in Matthew chapter 6, we begin to understand that he'll give us everything that we need. But seek ye first, what? the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given unto you. Jesus wants them not just to rest in an economic or a political security. He wants them to experience transformation. Look at the text. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And we're going to find at the end of our text, 37 through 40, he's going to give them that invitation. The Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal, his approval. It's a good little ex exposition of that in your notes. Come with me to the second thing now. Then they said to him, so Jesus is going to deal with a second issue that they have a question about, and Jesus is going to bring them once again, not to be settled for information, but Jesus is going to bring them to the point where they can be transformed if they will take a, make a choice to believe. Look at the text with me. Then they said to him, what must, we be, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Little explanation. The Jewish religion is very similar to many of our Christian churches in New England. Many of our Christian churches in New England are works-based and not grace-based. And so the desire of the people goes like this when I talk to my neighbors. Do you know that you can go to heaven? And the reply is this. I hope so. If I'm what? If I'm good enough. And Jesus flips it again and begins to bring it to the point of transformation in their life where it's not based on works. It's based on grace, based on the love of the Father, sending the Son. Take a look at the text with me. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you do what? You believe, you express trust, you express faith in Him whom He has sent. So Jesus says that 
the transformational moment in your life won't come through works. It'll come when you put your faith and trust. Third thing Jesus does is that they want a sign. Come to the text with me. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? If you're the prophet Moses promised, then show us some tricks. Show us some more miracles. Did they not just experience a great miracle? Did they not just experience Jesus feeding 10,000 people? Do you think they sought out Jesus because, oh, I know what happened. Jesus shamed, Andrew shamed the little boy that had the five barley loaves and the few pickled fish. Andrew shamed him. And so all the people said, oh, we'll bring our little lunches together and we'll make a, what do you call those tables? And Yeah, then we'll, we'll make a buffet. And so everybody was shamed and got over their selfishness and brought all their little bag lunches together and they had a grand old picnic together. Would that, would that prompt them to get in a boat and to go to the other side and to seek out Jesus and demand another sign and demand? Or how about the other contemporary thing? Oh, Jesus, oh, he was just doing, you know, the Lord's table, you know, he's just doing the Eucharist. He's just giving thanks. He took a little a little crumb and gave it to each person, a little just a little teeny bite, and they just had a, you know, they had a ceremonial, you know, you know, kumbaya experience. And it was really cool. It's like Woodstock in Vermont, you know, man. And, you know, it's just amazing, you know, what Jesus did. What? Are you out of your mind? They didn't do that. That's not what they were talking about. They saw 10,000 people with fat bellies and satisfied. And they said, let us make this guy our king. That's what they did. Take a look at the text. Our father ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. A transformation not just information. Jesus confronts them about their materialism. He confronts them about their self-sufficiency. He confronts them about their biblical ignorance and unbelief, but he doesn't leave them there. He shows them how they can be transformed and how they can be completely satisfied, not only in this life, but in the life to come. It's the same thing that Jesus did for Nicodemus. It's the same thing that Jesus did for the woman at the well. Let's read it through to the verse 40. We'll stop there and we'll see four profound statements that Jesus makes. Verse 35, or verse 34, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, sure thing. Sure thing, because you've stepped out of just wanting information. You've stepped beyond just wanting, you know, your, 
your curiosity be satisfied. You're stepping, you're stepping into the spiritual reality and the transformation that I want to do in your life. And so Jesus brings them home, gives them a way back to the Father, not based upon works, but based upon grace. Take a look at the text with me. Jesus said to them, now he's playing. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus gives four profound statements that lead to spiritual transformation and eternal life. The first is, many saw Jesus. Many could call his name. But intellectual assent is not true faith and true trust in Jesus. I grew up knowing who Jesus was. I grew up understanding through the catechism many of the basics of Christianity. I saw him, but I didn't step beyond information into true faith. It's just not enough to know him. That's why as Sunday school kiddos, you need to know the stories. You need to know about Nicodemus. You need to know about the woman at the well, but you can't stop there. You have to step into who we are in Christ and receive in your heart Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior personally. I love my grandchildren. I love you Sunday school kiddos. But I'll tell you this, God has no grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. Girls and boys that have come to know him personally in their heart have accepted him as, as Lord and Savior and have come to the place of spiritual conversion, and they come to that place, and they say, Jesus, I want to serve you. What's next? And they get baptized. Just not enough to know his name. Secondly, the Holy Spirit leads, the Father draws, and the Son accepts. And if you are willing to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have no worries. You're one of the chosen ones. You know, when you look at heaven, and you're approaching heaven, some of you are saying, Conway, how do you know what that is? How do you know what heaven looks like? I've read my Bible. Okay? So, <laughs> I saw the question. And so when you're approaching heaven, you know, St. Peter's going to be there, you know, with the chains. No, he's not. When you're approaching heaven, it says, as you're approaching the portal of heaven, it says, all those that call upon the name of the Lord will be what? Say, that's looking from the outside, heading in. Then you get on this side, and you look out, and over, as you look out down to heaven, over the gates of heaven, says, chosen before the foundation of the world. So if you're chosen, you're going to be the one that says, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, be my Lord. 
Jesus be my Savior. Thirdly, Jesus has a profound, so comforting to me, there is no sin which can keep you from Jesus. Do you believe that? There is nothing. There is nothing that he will not forgive. There is nothing that he didn't nail to the cross. There is no sin which can keep us from Jesus. He died so that you would not have to die and that he will never cast you out because you belong to him. He has bought you. And finally, those who repent and believe in Jesus are forever safe in Christ. He offers nothing short of eternal life and bodily resurrection. You are safe in him. There is no shame. There is no guilt that can keep the love of Christ from wooing you and drawing you and bringing you to a place where you can experience his transformation and experience new life so that you can walk in what? So that you can walk in joy. Jesus wants you to experience all of him in heaven, yes, but he wants you to experience all of him now. In closing this morning, come with me to a familiar passage. You know it well. Come with me to Romans chapter 8, just for a moment. Romans chapter 8. What, verse 31, what then shall we say to all these things? What should we say? What account can we give? Well, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. What then shall we say to these things? Say it with me. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing. Nothing can separate you. Look at the next verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us what? All things. All things. That's my Jesus. This is my Redeemer. This is the one that went to the cross for me. This, Jesus, is the one that has set me free from sin. This, Jesus, is the one that has untethered me from the circumstances of life so that no matter what life brings, his joy is supreme. His joy is available. His joy is the sustaining power that allows for sanctification and holiness. It is the same as my brother Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, endured the shame, and he sits where now? At the right hand of the Father, making intercession that you too, that I would abide in him, love him, obey his commandments so that I may know his joy unspeakable, his joy full of glory. So often when we come to texts like this, John chapter 6, we read it at a Sunday school level. Just want the information. The Holy Spirit will never stop at an information dump. The Holy Spirit woos and calls to transform you into Christ-likeness so that you might know his joy 
this side of heaven. Can you say amen?